0: We are just blessed to be here this morning. We just thank you for having us. Um, uh, I have to thank uh, Pastor Steve. Uh, I know how scary this is. Many years ago, when Lena and I pastored, uh, I pastored churches. We church planted, and we'd have missionaries come, and they'd want us to give up the pulpit to to speak. And it was it was one of the scariest things I think I ever did. So I want to thank Pastor Steve for. letting us do this this morning. God, when missionaries get up in front of you, uh, the worst part of it is typically they don't know when to stop. So your the service can go on and on. And this morning, we are going to not be uh, preaching as such. We're going to be storytellers. So that's even a little more scary because we have a million stories. Um, I think what we're going to do this morning is... What we're going to speak about is going to kind of revolve around relationship. And relationship to us has become one of the most important things in our lives. And it's just not our relationship with India and our partners there. The most important part of this is our relationship with the Father, our relationship with God. Um, everything that has happened to Lena and I has been borne out of our relationship with the Father. It's most important. I had a, I had a wonderful mentor to me years ago uh, told me that if we did nothing else in our lives but build a solid relationship with God, that was all we had to do. Anything else that comes out of that is a bonus, and it's a blessing from God. So, many years ago, let me share a little bit about where Lena and I came from so that you have an idea of who we are and where we've come from. Lena and I are both originally Canadian citizens. We actually are dual citizens, but we're from Canada. Lena is from the far east coast in Newfoundland, which is kind of, I call it a rock in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's such a place that years ago during the Cold War between Russia, that's where the United States Navy had their deep submarine base, was in Placentia Bay. And it was just in this rock. And the nuclear subs would sneak in and out of there as they were floating around. So that's Lena's from there. Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, I'm originally from, I was born in Calgary, Alberta, in Alberta straight north of here. It's sort of the, uh, yeah, the oil boom capital of North America up there. So that's where we're from. But the story kind of starts in Vancouver, British Columbia on the far west coast. And back in about 1981, uh, Lena and I had moved to Vancouver, and that's where... God just put this overwhelming sense that we were to become full-time in ministry. And at that point, we were part of a little conservative Baptist church in Vancouver, and uh, there was a wonderful little Bible school, Northwest Baptist, and it was headed up by some folk that were missionaries to, had been to India. Um, There were all the, some of the guys... Uh, came through there, like garrisons and all these different people that had been in, in India. So I went there to take a couple of Bible classes just to get a taste. I'd never been to Bible school, and I wanted to see what, you know, Bible school was all about. And I ran headlong into this, this little Indian guy whose name was Emmanuel Raj. And Emmanuel Raj is the founder of this ministry that we've, we are so much a part of now. And he was a relentless evangelist. I, when I mention his name from those years, uh, the picture I get is we'd be out on a Granville Island, which was this yuppie kind of rock and roll place in Vancouver. There was a hotel that all the rockers went to, and him and I would go out there to pass out tracks. And I have this picture of Emmanuel, And there was a cab coming down the street, and he'd slowed down to let somebody out. And Emmanuel got a track. He was an Indian guy driving, and Emmanuel put a track through his window and started preaching at this guy. And before, I think I just went out. All of a sudden, I look. All of a sudden, I I, I look, and here is Emmanuel. A taxi is starting to go down the road, and Emmanuel's stuck through the window, and his little legs are flapping, and he won't let this guy go, and the car is moving down the road. So that's how our relationship started, back in 81. That's when I first met Emmanuel. So this is a relationship that now is, what's that, 81 to 2000, it's 30 years plus. So that's kind of where we started, and what a wonderful family. We ended up uh, six months into Bible school. Uh, Emmanuel's wife was supposed to come and spend six months with him, and she found out that Emmanuel was living in the dorm at Northwest Bible, and she got back to him and said, Emmanuel, I'm not coming. I am not staying in a dorm in a Bible school at my age. So Emmanuel hadn't seen her in six months. and He wanted her to come and they were going to do some speaking in churches. So Emmanuel came to me. Lena and I were in a home. And he said, Brian, can we stay with you for six months? (laughs) And I went to Lena and we said yes. So we ended up with Emmanuel and Beulah Raj living with us for six months. And that's where all this started. Um, into that time, uh, Lena and I sensed a call down here, and we applied and ended up with permanent residency, and we ended up in San Francisco. And at that point, we kind of lost Emanuel and Beulah for a number of years. And that's, we'll get into that story in a couple of minutes. But we ended up moving down to San Francisco in 85, 86. And hence is where we started here. For from that time, through 2001, Lena and I uh, lived in San Francisco, and I was involved in full-time ministry. From that point on, I went to Golden Gate uh, Baptist Seminary, got my master of divinity. But through that whole time, we did inner-city work, um, gang-related, um, homeless. Castro area in the gay community we did a lot of work there main thing with the gang related uh, I you probably remember the Cambodian uh, boat people as they were coming in East Coast in the boats they the INS in their infinite wisdom took those people and transplanted them into major cities like Detroit Chicago San Francisco and they were all Cambodian farmers so they were completely out of their element the, the parents became alcoholics and would sit out in front of the, their little apartments and just drink. And the kids ran wild. And that's kind of when we came in and we planted a church in the Tenderloin uh, directed towards children in the beginning. But all my Cambodian kids that became Christians and came to the church... They are all uh, founding members of one of the toughest Cambodian gangs in the city, the CWA. So all my kids were, yeah, it was uh, an interesting, I worked, I spent half my time in juvenile hall. And I got to know all the undercover cops because they come to me to find out what these what these gangs were about to do. Um, we have a daughter who's 32 now. At that point, she was, what, seven, six, seven years old. She was the safest kid safest kid in the city, because that's who she kind of, she taught half these kids how to read, you know. (laughs) They were all in trouble. So we did that for uh, the better part of 20 years. And in 2001, um, we just sensed this overwhelming call to foreign missions. Emmanuel had tried to get us to move from Vancouver back in the mid-80s, To India with them when he went back, but we we knew that it wasn't God's timing. So, again, I want to emphasize relationship relationship with Father, relationship to people we meet, your, your partners in ministry here, one another. Relationship is so important. So, in 2001, we sensed it was time for a mission. So, We put everything together. The hardest thing we ever did was uh, leave our daughter. She was just going to go to college. She had just told us that she had decided she was going to live with us until she was 30 years old and go to college. And within a few months of her telling us that, we had to share with her that we were going to India. And her response was, Mom, Dad, usually... The kids go off to college. The parents don't leave. You know, and so she's been telling us ever since then that someday we've got to grow up. So, but it was very difficult. Do you want to share a little bit about that?
1: We could. Um, the, I guess it was in 2001, and um, um, I, I was at a point in my life where uh, every morning before I did anything, I uh, was in prayer for an hour sometimes more and uh, the one morning, I vividly heard the father speak to me and telling us it was time to go mm-hmm. so Then I had to really uh, muster up the the uh, nerve to go and tell Brian that. God told us we have to go. I don't know where yet, but we have to go. And it wasn't a week later when I met up with a man who was visiting Golden Gate Seminary. And he came right up to me and he said, I need to talk to you. And uh, so we set up a meeting, Brian, myself, and him, and he started telling us this uh, need that they had For a couple to go to India. And our chins fell to the floor because he didn't know. We had never told him that our heart was always for India for 20 years. And uh, when he said that, that was confirmation for us that that was where God wanted us to go. Now keep in mind, we went from Canada, drove to San Francisco and never traveled anywhere in the world before. And we packed up everything we had, set up our daughter in a small apartment, um, had her comfortable, and we took off on a plane with nine suitcases in a country we've never been before. Uh, There was no one to meet us at the airport. And when we got there, we landed in Mumbai, which is probably the busiest airport in India. Two, o- two o'clock in the morning, we fought with customs for at least four hours because they looked at us as foreigners and they wanted our money. And when they realized we wouldn't give them any money, they allowed us to leave the airport um, we got on this rickety old bus with our nine suitcases to go to the to the domestic airport and i I have something that I was going to read later on, but to go through the poorest area i think in the world in Mumbai, where you have over a million people living in um, uh,
0: Cardboard boxes,
1: cardboard boxes in these brick, hmm. these frames that had brick walls with a tarp over the top. And when you look at it from the plane, it's just a sea of blue and yellow from the tarps. And I mean, to go through that,
0: has anybody? Have you any of you ever seen uh, *Slumdog Millionaire*? The movie *Slumdog*? That's what that's she's what talking that about. Was that 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 slum is between the domestic and international airports in Bombay, which is now Mumbai, and that's where you travel through to... But <laughs> that was our
1: first impression of India, yeah. and uh, at that point, I'm sitting on this old bus, and we didn't realize at the time it was just a local bus. It wasn't an airport bus. It was, we didn't realize that... The airline had an actual shuttle <laughs> and they threw our luggage into this back part of the bus and were just sitting on this bus going to the airport and looking at this sea of humanity all around us at 2 in the morning. It was 110 degrees and people were sleeping on top of the trucks, uh, on the street, uh, children all around with no clothes on. And I was scared to death. I wanted, <laughs> oh my gosh, what have I done? Lord, bring us home. <laughs>
0: yeah, but people would say to us, they would say to us, aren't you, uh, don't you feel scared with all, uh, whole, everything going on? And I, we'd look at them and we'd go, well, you know, I think God prepared us in inner city San Francisco, because the nice thing is, is our kids in San Francisco, when they'd come on, we we planted a church on a bus uh, in in the Tenderloin, and we'd have a basket, and the kids would have to check their guns and knives before they got on the bus, so yeah, so it wasn't too bad.
1: But once we got to the airport, got on our next flight, we had people at the next airport To meet us, and they brought us to their home. And um, once you're out of all of that and you're not flying for 35 hours and uh, you're disoriented and you don't know where you are, once we got rested up and we went out to the neighborhoods and visited people, it was like we just knew that God had put us in the place where He wanted us to be. Amen. And uh, we were there. Uh, Five years before we went back to the states, and you're only supposed to, as missionaries, you go on furlough every four years normally. Um, Sometimes every two, but uh, the maximum you can stay is four. And we stayed; we just couldn't leave. It was home. Our daughter was coming to see us once, once, twice a year, and she was comfortable with us being there. And at that point, we were comfortable with her being at home. um, But once we got there and we saw the love of the people and the need, the need for Jesus in that country, Mm. you don't want to leave because you don't want to miss out on leading someone else to the the Lord. Um, The need is so great. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to let
0: you finish. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, and we'd been there a few years, and we were living in a city called Amnabad uh, in Gu- the state of Gujarat, which is a, an interesting city. If you go around, you'll, you'll hear the name Patel. Patel, they're very business-oriented people. They they typically come from Amnabad in Gujarat, very wealthy, very it's an industrious place. So anyway, we're living there, and we're visiting some friends in another city outside of New Delhi called Merritt. And I know we're getting close to where Emmanuel and Beulah Raj started their ministry. So I asked this friend of mine, I said, Do you know anybody that would know the different folk in ministry that we might find? These friends, and he said, "Oh, sure, call this this guy. He's an Indian guy, but his wife is uh, from uh, London." So I phone and I get this woman on the phone, and I don't, I can't say her name off the top of my head right now. But I asked her. I said, "You know, I'm Brian and We're missionaries here, and I'm looking for Emmanuel Rush." And she says, "Oh my goodness!" She said, "My husband was just talking to him. His card is right beside the phone." So she gave me. The phone number off the card, and I just literally hung up, picked up the phone again, and phoned this number. And this girl answers the phone, and I say to her, uh, hi, uh, my name's Brian Finnan, and uh, I'm looking for Emmanuel Raj. We're old friends, and uh, do you have any idea where I can get a hold of him? And all of a sudden I hear this, there's crying in the background, and this girl on the other end of the phone says, your daughter used to hide my daddy's spectacles. And that person on the phone was Helena, Helena Singh, who is the director of the ministry now, and it was her that answered the phone, and she met uh, she met you guys last year, and that's where the whole thing started again. She said, where are you? And I said, Lena and I are in Merritt. And she says, Merritt? What are you doing in Merritt? And she said, can you come visit? I said, well, absolutely. We'll get on a train. We'll be in Derridoon tomorrow. And she didn't know what to do. Her, her and her husband talked about it. And they didn't even tell her mother and father were in another at their uh, home that they have, and they didn't even tell them that night because they were afraid that Emmanuel would go crazy, wondering what to do to get us. So they didn't tell him until the next morning, which was a mistake because he knew the train was coming in. He didn't realize that we knew India or had been there for a while, and he had he had everybody that could drive driving to the train station and looking for us because they were afraid that we'd get lost. So here we are, that was the beginning again, and that was uh, 2002. So after all these years, we found Emmanuel and Buell again. So that's kind of a story of where we started, where we ended up there. And now I'm going to switch gears. And I'd love to share more about the ministry that we have come to love so much, and it's the New Life Center in India. And Emmanuel and Beulah founded it. He went to uh, Northern India from the South um, in the late 60s initially, and he went to a tea plantation and lived under a, uh, a wood in a wood hut and prayed to ask God what they should do. He knew he was to go north, and way back in those days, God spoke to Emmanuel and said, you are going to work with children, and the children that you take in will not come into an orphanage. They are going to come into a children's home. And once a child comes into your care, you will take care of that child until they have a job, they've gone to college, they're married, and they will become part of your family. So the children that they work with are not, it's not an orphanage. They have children, and it's, and it's so much fun when you get there. We were talking last night with Sam and Benita, that, and they know this, this man, Philip. Philip was in the first graduating class uh, in that school, and now... Through a number of things that happened, he's back there working, and he is. Uh, there's five generations past him of of kids. So when we go over there now, we just were there with a with a group for a church from El Dorado Hills and we did a, at the main campus we did a vacation bible school for uh, 475 kids <laughs> and it was a treat so we 475 kids they have 225 kids that live in dorm on campus and they have about 250 that come to the school the school is grade 1 through 9 1 through 9 and then the kids go off campus to high school So that's the main campus, but they have uh, five schools, so when we go there, there's kids all over. We work with, it's just over 1,200 kids right now, um, and it is an absolute treat. It, It is a wonderful thing. We've done the last team we took, we did vacation Bible school, we did a women's conference. The women just love it when you put time into them, because uh, India is very much a man's world. So the women... um, uh, have very little say in things. So when we go over there and we do a, a women's conference, they feel empowered, they love it. So we took some women, did a women's conference, and then the two pastors that we took, I had them do a, a church planter pastor conference. So in each one of those, there was uh, 50 to 70 people in each one, and then we're doing vacation Bible school in the midst of that. So it's amazing. The relationships, it's all about relationship. India is one of the most difficult places to see people come to Christ, but God is at work, and through relationships, God is is moving in mighty ways. The school there. Is uh, the other thing that God spoke to Emmanuel about was that the schools would become the bridge to the communities because education is so important to uh, Indian families. They see, they see now technology is such that you can be slumdog millionaire. You can be living in a six foot square uh, cardboard box. And you'll have, te- you'll have television with cable going. So people are watching what's happening all over the world. They're, they are hooked. They know that if they are educated, they can come out of this lifestyle that they're in, this life. It can get better. So they want their kids to go to school. So that's the bridge. We do uh, a vacation Bible school for 475 kids 250 of those kids are in the community. We have church planters that once we're finished, the uh, Vacation Bible School, and the kids have been taken going home with their salvation bracelets, and they're, they're practicing their Bible verses on their families, and these are most all Hindu families, and they're practicing. They, after we leave, the church planters then go and visit all these homes. And they've seen, we've seen thousands. There's probably... Uh, It's hard to track everything that's going on, but over the last years, uh, I will bet there's been at least 5,000 folk come to the Lord and be baptized. And in a Hindu, in a conservative, staunch Hindustani uh, area, that's amazing. In fact, where one of the schools is in uh, Chowra, which is right up into the mountains, it's at about between 8 and 10,000 feet, right up on top of a mountain. In fact, last year through the monsoon season, we had a, a room that we used as a staff room and an extra classroom, and by God's grace, nobody was in it, but it was raining heavily, and all of a sudden, a like about a 10-foot diameter rock literally came off the edge of the mountain and rolled into the staff room. And I got a picture. Helena sends me a picture, and there's this huge rock sitting in the staff room. So, yeah, it's nuts. Oh, you're going to love this, how they get rid of the rock. They don't have jack They literally hire three or four guys come in with hammers and chisels, and they spend the next two weeks... That's how the rock got out of it. Yeah. Anyway, so Helena was just there uh, last week, and she thought she had to meet with some of the village elders in, in with this area. It's like when they do school. You're in a valley, and there's villages. At night, it's beautiful because you see lights, and it just circles this valley, and the kids come from there into the school. But anyway, so you got all these village elders. And she went to a meeting, and she thought she was in trouble. She thought that they were going to be upset with her because of the the uh, Christian influence. the Bible. They, they teach from the Bible, and it's very Christ-centered. She thought she was going to be in trouble. So all of a sudden, she's in the meeting, and all the elders begin angrily to talk to her. But it wasn't because they were teaching from the Bible. It was because the school only goes to grade five, and they want the school to go to grade eight. And so she's telling me she was so surprised and so excited because now we got to raise money to build three more classrooms and a, and a new staff quarters, but... They want the school to go to grade 8 so that their children and then they can move on to a high school. So it's, it's absolutely wonderful. The bridge over the years, God has used amazing ways. If you could meet some of these people, there's a woman you, you hear about, you know, you read about the New Hebrides, the whales, the revivals that have taken place over the years. And you get to that area, Chara, and on the far side of the mountain, there's a woman and her family that came to the Lord 25 years ago. And there's this group of older women that have been praying for 20-plus years on their knees every day. And I believe that the reason we've got the elders coming to them now, wanting more, is because these women prayed. So we have everything comes back to relationship. Everything comes back to relationship. So exciting. How am I doing on time here? Oh, okay. (laughs) These is this is some of the children New Life Center, Derudun, Uttaran Khand, it's the the name of the state has changed a number of times and I still have I, I still call it Uttaran sometime, but it was a new state when we first moved there and it's funny how they kinda just change its name from time to time. So now it's Uttaran and these are a number of the children and that's the New Life Center school sign. Again, this is describing uh, the ministry and uh, the way we've... uh, uh, Oh, I'm getting tongue-tied. That it isn't an orphanage, that it is a school. And we have kids that come in, everything from kids from the community that can afford to pay a little bit, to kids, we've got a new child that came in, a little one, I think you'll see a picture of her, And we had no room, but Helena had to take her because she was a throwaway. There's this beautiful little girl. She's four years old, and she'd just been chucked into the streets. So we had to take her. So I think there's a picture in there of her, too. So kids, kids, and more kids. We love kids. Uh, it's about 125 girls in the girls' dorm. And that's good. The boy, To be totally honest, the boys are harder to control and stuff. The girls are just so easy to work with. <laughs> and then we talk. We have two residential homes. Um, the one uh, is smaller. The main one is in Derridoon. The other one in Chacharoli, uh, it's coming down in the amount of children. It'll probably be down to about 75 and will increase in Derridoon. Um, the daycare centers uh, are wonderful. We do run into, um, it's, it's illegal to evangelize in India. In some places, it's more difficult than others. In Derridoon, because Derridoon is sort of like the uh, Colorado Springs of India. There's a lot of uh, Christian organizations. The government there has really clamped down. And if you go out, get caught doing evangelism, you can end up in jail. Or if you're a a foreigner, you're gone. They'll eliminate you in in a heartbeat. So there's there's a lot. So the daycare centers are difficult because part of that is you give... The reason the kids come partly is because they get a meal. Uh, When they come to the daycare, they do their homework. It's a great time for us to teach them Bible and stuff. But the government looks at that as... We're offering them food to become Christians. It's, it's a bribery thing. So they've been giving us some problems with the daycare centers. The schools are amazing. You know, the schools are amazing. Uh, the bridge, like I say, uh, is just God uses those relationships in mighty ways. Church planting, very important. Every one of the schools, because they're a bridge, we're planting churches uh, out in the villages. We've got over, it says here, I think I have 20, but we've got, I think, 23 uh, house churches right now, which is amazing. The one that I love to tell stories about is in a city called Haradwar, and where all of you, I think most of you are old enough to remember the Beatles, Right. (laughs) There is, from the time of the Beatles, right down the street from Hardwar, there is a city called Rishikesh. And Rishikesh is where George Harrison went to find his guru. And the same brick road that goes down to the Ganges is the same brick road that the Beatles walked back in 64 all that time ago. But what's happened is, is the key spot that Indians went to was Varanasi, was the big city where they pilgrimage to as Hindus but it's got so dirty the the ganges in varanasi is you wouldn't even want to put your foot in it it's so dirty so now haridwar has become the pilgrimage point of choice and that is within 45 minutes of where we live so we have a church plant there that god is blessing there must be almost 100 people packed into a house there and there's been a revival in prayer And it's just off the hook. It's great. We don't take foreigners there because it can be problematic. Lena and I have snuck in a couple of times, but we don't take foreigners there much because the government would shut it down. So, oh, a million stories. Yeah, the churches, yeah. The churches are great. We have, uh, you see pictures. I could tell stories of each one. But the main campus uh, is, is packed every Sunday, and uh, typical service, every guy that comes up to speak wants to preach a message, so you can go in there on a Sunday morning and sometimes get three messages, and they go on, they love to preach, so they go on and on. Lean and I usually sit at the back and... Sneak out. Hella, it's so funny because I always give uh, Beulah, Emanuel's wife, she's getting older today. She's 81, I think. But anyway, she sits in the back and Indians, they'll put a shawl over their head and stuff. And and she'll sit there and I'll elbow her because all of a sudden I'll see her and her eyes are closed and she's sleeping <laughs> while Emmanuel's preaching. So and then Helen and I, the three of us, we usually sneak out and Emmanuel's looking at us. So anyway, great churches though, great churches. Hmm. Helena Singh, there's Helena. Uh, she directs it, directs the whole thing now. Her parents have have uh, pretty well retired. I don't know. Manuel will never retire. You know, he's frail today, but he preaches still two or three times on a Sunday. And he's with uh, the older kids every morning at uh, 5.36 o'clock. He has a group that come, and it's a wonderful sight. It's a it, it, you feel like you're in the Bible, and you've got Jesus sitting and people at His feet. You know, you look Emmanuel sitting in his chair and his in his robe and his hat. He's called. He's got his Bible, and all these kids are sitting at His feet, and they're studying the Word of God. And it's it's a so Helena. She uh, with some help from her parents, she directs most of it now. She's an amazing woman of God. And uh, is fighting—I don't know how many battles with the government and organizing the church planters—and it's a wonderful thing. So she's a great woman. She'll be here. Hopefully, we'll see her next year. Here, more kids, the field. Yeah, we have. There's a number of ways that you can uh, that you can uh, uh, help. We 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 just covet your prayers. We are people of prayer, and we've seen prayer move mountains. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping that you guys will catch a vision for this ministry to be with us in prayer. Um, the kids it costs um, less are just over a dollar a day to sponsor one of our kids in the uh, in the home, and we have a website. I've got some brochures that have it in here where a friend of mine in Alabama actually set up a website so that you can just click in there and you can see the pictures of the kids and you can grab a kid. You know, some people have grabbed 10, some people grab one. I got a, We got a church in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, that uh, picked up 80. You know, they just love the kids, yeah. So, praise God. that it? That's our contact. How much time do we have? 20 minutes? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. I know know Sam has some questions. (laughs) Good. Can I share? Are you going to ask about teams that have come is that one of your questions okay i i 've talked about the last team we took. We took a team not long ago uh, about a year ago, and it was a friend of mine that worked with us in San Francisco. She actually coordinated our 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 prayer groups and prayer effort in san francisco audrey Olson and she moved back to be with family in uh, new york city that 's where she comes from. We always kind of made fun of her because she has this She was in San Francisco for over 20 years, and she had this New York accent that she never lost. So it was always funny. But she uh, got involved with a little church. Um, Actually, it's much smaller than than your group. And uh, they had a number of Indian folk in that group, and they decided they would like to go on mission. And they had a number of doctors in that group as well, and uh, they decided that uh, let's try our first team, let's, let's do a medical team. So they began a, a year before, and we started advertising it. Um, it ended up, believe it or not, they opened it up to some other churches. I told uh, Audrey that we, we don't like to do teams much bigger than 12 people. Eight to 12 people is typically, when you get to India, it's, it's a nice size. Because when we take a team there, we take care of people. We, we do all the transportation, housing. We take care of folks because we don't want people to go there like we did and be scared to death. It can be scary. So anyway, I get a call. I get a call from Audrey and she says, Brian, she said, uh, you're, I don't know what you're going to say about this, but we have 20 people that want to go. On this medical trip. And I went, uh, so why can't we split it into two teams? And she said, they all want to go together at the same time. So I said, but she said, a few of them might not go. Maybe 10. I don't know. So at the end of the day, we had 17 doctors. And while there were a couple of people that were D-Pharm, I guess they call them. their PhDs in pharmaceutical something or other. So we had... Two of those, but the rest were surgeons and pediatricians. So we took this whole group to India. And I, you know, I was in, I pray, I was on my knees, oh, how many hours, because it scared me to death. But we got there, and I tell you what, it was the most amazing trip. These people were, um, I, I, I always do a thing, I use the potter and the clay and when we get to India, I always go through a celebration the first day we get there, and one of the things I do is I read the passage out of uh, uh, Isaiah 64 8 uh, of the potter and the clay, God being the potter and us being the clay, and I always, I get these little clay pots, they're chai cups, and we fill them with water and we talk about coming from the United States with everything we have and all our education and all that we're blessed with. And then we get to India that we need to set all this aside, build relationship with the people, and allow God to work. So we take the chai cups and we pour the the water out into a pot, and everybody keeps their chai cup, the clay chai cup, to remember what they've committed to do. And at the end of the week, we go back and take our chai cup. They carry it with them, and at the end of the week, they pull out their cup, No matter what kind of shape it's in, and we discuss what God has done, and these guys took this seriously. Like I hope they would, and we had them all over. We did, we did, um, worked with the kids. They they did. um, What's the word? Hmm. No, the they did with the kids. They they did checkups on all the kids. We did. Medical checkups had 475 kids, and we took them to a Christian hospital out in the middle of nowhere. The one young guy that's a surgeon at one of the top hospitals in New York City in the emergency room, he walked into Dr. Rajesh's operating room, and his eyes got this big, and his jaw hit the ground, you know, because we walk in, and he's, you know, doing surgery, you know, and with no... Anyway, it was just, it's wild. So we took all of them up there. So it's amazing the way God molds things. And that's the way teams go. So uh, there's a million stories with that too. Anyway. <laughs> there's the a floor like here's a sort of picture of one of the churches okay um it varies doesn't it yeah it does vary we've got we've got some established churches and they're very much like this if you were to come into the daradune church you'd the seats aren't quite as as comfortable <laughs> but it, it's it's much like coming into here um, when you get out into the out into the highways and byways um, the churches they meet mostly in homes. we do have some buildings it 's different there every in our church plants we 'd like we, we want to see some buildings and some churches because the main reason is and, and I had to spend a lot of time with emmanuel because i 'm a house church planter because i don 't you know in these countries, I feel like you know the cost of doing things is so much, but he explained to me. That once a church is established, because it's a Hindu country, and there's no graveyards, there's no this and that, there's no um, the government. Once you're established as a nonprofit, you can do evangelism, you can do stuff with people, and you're you're recognized. If you're in a house church, it's it's very difficult. But the flip side to that is is we have got. Uh, Thousands of people in house churches now. And they'll meet in groups of 25 to 50, and they just pack in. You know, they'll be sitting side by side, and the preacher will share a message. They they sing. We've got uh, Indian Christian music that's absolutely wonderful with the tabla and the drums. And and they worship. These people, and, and a difference too, is that once these People commit themselves to Christ. Everything changes for them, Um, especially once they're baptized. Once they're baptized, so many of these people become outcasts. So all they have is the fellowship of other Christians, and they love one another. Relationship is so important. It's like relationship, relationship, relationship. And they work together, they witness together, they go out together. So the communities are tight, they're, they're smaller, and off they go. Does that make sense? Some of these churches can be as small as a mud
1: hut. We've been to church in, uh, where this family, they lived in a mud hut. And uh, I, was, I didn't want to take my shoes off, but when you go into an Indian home, you take your shoes off. And that mud hut was cleaner than a lot of people's homes. The floor was mud, but it was hard. And you went in with your socks on or your bare feet and there wasn't a bit of dust on your feet anywhere. So you can can go from a mud hut to um, a normal home where there's no seats, you just sit on the floor. Uh, You have uh, cushions for the floor. But many of these families are so poor they don't have um, money to have a sofa. And, and
0: the water buffaloes generate the heat for the home.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, <laughs> they're over in the corner. Yeah. The church is very from, yeah. from that little mud hut to yeah the actual church building. Yeah, we have a friend that uh, now has. Uh, he's a friend of uh, Helen as an ours and a number of us. And he's more over into the Punjab. And he's got uh, a house church planting movement that now, uh, in members, exceeds 15,000 people. They regularly baptize a couple hundred people in a month. It's just exploding. it's It's amazing. Um, that can be a long or a short question. Yeah, short? yeah, short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of the most of the church planters uh, have come to Christ uh, later in life. They uh, are on, Emmanuel and his senior pastor uh, Chitrandand. We call him Chitu is his pet name. Um, they do a lot of the training with these guys and there are bible schools there and and after a few years if they really are committed you know they'll find support to have these guys do bible classes and go to bible school but for the most part these guys are are trained from within and it's it's amazing like if you guys could meet Emmanuel I have never met a guy that is you know so intelligent so Bible-oriented just training. Um, and just to add to this, we met uh, back last year at a, a church planting, church planters workshop and seminar. There were these two young Indian guys that were church planters. And if you can, they'd been Christians for about 12 months. They'd been church planting for about three months so they are just like a message ahead of Emmanuel, but they're out there preaching. But get this—they were from an area in the Garwal. There's about 19 different dialects in the Garwal Garwali language. And these two young guys had already translated Matthew into their dialect. You know, and and. The pastor in Alabama, uh, Alan Cross, he's an old friend of mine. I mentored him years ago. He, was, he met these guys, and he said that he, he was blown away. He couldn't believe it. You know, three months church planning, 12 months as Christians, and they've translated Matthew, and they're working on Mark. You know, he felt like he was, you know, he's semin master of divinity, seminary pastor, and for 13 years now at Gateway and in Montgomery, Alabama. And he said he felt like these two guys, he felt like he just met Peter and Paul. <laughs> so. Okay, so talking about uh, pastors, if our pastor were to visit, um, Yes. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. Um, the, the These church planters, they love to meet pastors from here. And so many of the guys, like you, Pastor Steve, you got, you've got a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge. You've had, you know, Bible school. There's so much you can share with these guys. And they they literally fall in love with the, Pastors we bring. And so when we get pastors there, it's we do church planter training conferences, and they're typically three or four days. And we can have anywhere from... Well, if we do a small conference, it's typically about 50. 50 folk will have come. If we do a large one and rent a facility, we can have three, 400 people. You know, we're planning to do a women's conference 2014 for about three 400 women. And if we do the women, we're going to have to do a larger conference for the guys or they'll get bent out of shape. So, yeah, training. But then, you know, there's all kinds of stuff, you know. But the training is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Most important. Yeah. So is no to season five No. We have never uh, no. <laughs> No. Uh, no. <laughs> when
1: they come to India to work with us, they come to work with us. Yeah. And, um, we ask we asked if they do want to visit the Taj, it's after the mission
0: trip or yeah. We rent
1: the DVD, right? we
0: rent the <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, yeah, it's it's uh, these are working trips. They're mission trips. You know, we got a million things for folk to do. You know, there's everything from you know, we have a the playground. You saw in some of the pictures where the kids were playing. There's houses all around it. We lose balls over the fence all the time. You know, we got, you know, I'm going to, I need some guys that have welding experience that could come, we'll buy all the steel, we'll build a steel fence around the playground. So I can take guys and we can do anything from welding to, to ESL with the kids because the school is English medium, so you can do... The kids love to speak English. You can't get rid of these kids. They're on you all the time. So there's tons of stuff to do. Okay. Last couple of questions. How do you, you prepare people from over here for a trip to India? Is it there any way to prepare them do you just drop them in there? Uh, Parachutes. <laughs>
1: you can, we give them a lot of material. We uh, meet with them uh, once a month. For almost a year depending on the time we have to plan we teach them some of the customs we uh, tell them a lot of things but until you get there yeah there's no preparation that you can get here that uh, will prepare you for there yeah Um, it's it's a totally different world but the one good thing you have, I always tell our teams, is you have us who have been there, who know the people, um, who can uh, tell a taxi driver in Hindi how how to get somewhere, and um, you, we know where we're going now. So mm. uh, that's the one comfort you would have is is knowing that you're going with someone who... Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. You won't get lost. <laughs> we, were, we, were laughing, we were laughing with Sam and Benita last night because they're they're talking about wanting to go back um, maybe this year to New Delhi on a trip. And I say, so when was the last time They were, I haven't been there in five years. And it's like, we're, I'm, I'm looking at them saying, you don't even know Delhi anymore. The Delhi that you knew five years ago doesn't even exist. <laughs> you know, gonna, you know, it's going to scare them when they go back. <laughs> We were past, get this, we're coming from Dehradun with a team to the airport in New Delhi, and we're coming in a van down this road. All of a sudden, this guy on a Harley Davidson goes flying past us at about 80 mile an hour. It's like, you know, Ooh, anyway. Okay, last, last question. Um, you know, Has been back their lives and mm, their absolutely
1: i 'll I'll be brief on that if if you want to add to it you can but the the one team that I think about is the new New York team, and how they went so excited and they put everything they had into the trip, and when they came back their Involvement in the Indian community where they lived just skyrocketed. Their, their yeah. uh, love for people, their understanding of why people do what they do some, sometimes. Mm. Uh, you, you, your perspective on what we have here is so much bigger. Uh, when you look at what's there, you all of a sudden realize. As poor as we are here or as rich as we are here, we don't have any idea of what God How blessed good we have, here. yeah. Uh, we are so blessed in this country. Um, and I know, mm. yes, there's a lot of un- un- unemployment. There's a, um, a lot of everything here. But when you go to uh, places like India... You, you feel, oh God, thank you. Thank you for mm. what we we have here because it's, with the Hindu religion there, um, with the poverty there, the Hindu religion causes that poverty to stay where it is. Uh, the, the, po- the impoverished will always be like yeah. that. Um, the only thing we can do for them is introduce them to the Father. Yeah. Um, They'll always be poor because the, the Hindu religion just
0: stomps that. Because of reincarnation, I, I believe it on reincarnation because with reincarnation, value of life means very little because when you die, you're, you're going to come back as something else. So from the outsiders, unless unless the, the foreign community gets involved in something that's going on in India where they have a problem, they just look at nat- natural disasters and all this stuff as population control. They really don't care. You know, they just let the people. And for the first time, I was telling Sam last night that for the first time uh, ever – the Indian government and their last census finally admitted, if you can imagine, they finally admitted that they have an excess of 780 million people that make less than 50 cents a day. Even today, they've got a middle class that's exploding there, and they are, once you get over there, they are one of the wealthiest countries on the planet, like they're... People there with wealth don't flaunt their wealth. And I've always said that I, you know, we had Bill Gates as the most richest man in the world. I'll bet that there's a hundred Bill Gateses sitting around in India and they don't care for people to know that they have that kind of money. But it's wealthy place. So wealthy and yet very poor. Yes. But for people that come here, there is nobody that goes on a trip with us to India that their life is not changed forever. And we have taken people from teenagers to seniors. We've had people in their eighties that have gone with us and worked with the kids. Even if they've sat with the kids and they they uh, do English as a second language, just. Communicate back and forth, but people's lives are changed. You come back here different. You see the United States differently. You see your communities differently for the better, and it's all that relationship thing again. So, uh, thank you so much. For... I was going to say I was going to get just in closing, if it's okay, sure. that this. Well, take just a couple of minutes. This was written. I thought you guys would really enjoy hearing this. This, this was written by a woman that came over to visit uh, her daughter and son-in-law, who were missionaries that we met from London. And she wrote this. It tweaked it a little bit, but she wrote this as her experience coming to India for the first time. And she wrote, I thought it was beautifully done. She is really special. So just have Lena...
1: Two weeks there can only leave a series of impressions, a small window into a different world. Delhi is the biggest culture shock. From the cool, spacious white marble airport building, there is the madness and exhilaration of the drive by taxi into the city. Huge numbers of uh, battered, brightly painted trucks jostling for space on the two-lane road containing four lanes of traffic while our taxi winds in and out of gaps that appear briefly, only to close up again just after we've squeezed through with a millimeter to spare. No indicators, no mirrors, just signs on all the trucks saying, Horn, please, this is 1.30 a.m., but Delhi is teeming with people, carrying on life at the side of the road, talking, cooking, children laying, people sleeping in their cycle rickshaws bed frames on the pavement. In the morning, there is the walk down the street from our hotel to New Delhi Railway Station. Smells of urine, rotting rubbish, and petrol fumes, potholes and piles of stones for unwary feet. Beggars everywhere. We dodge bicycles, scooters, cars, three-wheel motorized taxis, hand-propelled vegetable cars, cows, pedestrians all competing for the same crowded territory. A glimpse of rural India through the yellow-tinted windows of the train heading north, flat green plains, paddy fields, pointed Hindu temples, Mediterranean-style villas, but also towns and villages where the buildings seem half-finished, or in ruins but where life spills out from them onto the railway track. Scavenging people living under homes that consist of a plastic sheet. And finally, the tree covered hills of the new state of Puerto the beauty of the jungle mountains where monkeys swing from the trees and a tiger was sighted on recently. After a while, you get used to the variety of animals all around, even the emaciated urban cows that appear to feed exclusively on rubbish. They are suitably aware of their sacred status, often sitting in the middle of the road or ambling slowly across the lines of traffic, (laughs) impervious to horns, knowing that drivers would rather kill themselves or someone else than run them over. Ten days in a village in Uttarankan is an opportunity to meet Indians as people, not as objects of curiosity viewed from a train or taxi window, nor as predators bent on fleecing rich Western travelers. Lovely to see their faces break into smiles when they are addressed in in Hindi by white English speakers. Heartening to discover that we share the same sense of humor, touched by the warmth of their welcome, humble to meet a Hindu family who live in one room only big enough to house a double bed in which the parents and the children all sleep and a TV, no running water, no bathroom, and yet the children are clean, nicely dressed, well-mannered, quick to learn and finding fun in the simplest of pastimes. Honored to be invited to the home of a Muslim family who live over a shop in the main street and be served with sweet, milky Indian tea, semolina pudding, and ritz biscuits. So much in India that is good and vibrant and positive. So much that is dark and depressing. So many people for whom Christ died, who as yet know nothing about him.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much again. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having yeah. us. Yeah. We were blessed to be here. Segment on there where it talks about, I don't know what it's called, but an event where they all come to a river to wash themselves. Over 100 million people, I guess. is what's it. Said. Um, hoping that they'll wash away their sins.